Hello, this is UCL Uncovering Politics, and this week we're looking at the impact of war on rates of infant mortality. How big is it, and can it be mitigated? Hello, my name is Alan Rinnick, and welcome to UCL Uncovering Politics, the podcast of the School of Public Policy and Department of Political Science at University College London. Our television screens have been filled over the past year by images of the war in Ukraine, images of destruction, death, injury and hardship. It seems obvious that war harms civilian populations, not least children. But research can reveal much more about the nature and scale of those harms and perhaps also about what can be done about them. And so this week we're focusing on a new study of the impact of war upon rates of infant mortality. The study is by Rod Abuharb, Associate Professor of International Relations here in the UCL Department of Political Science, and I'm delighted to say that Rod joins me now. Rod, welcome to UCL Uncovering Politics, and I guess the first question relates to the point that I was just beginning to hint at there. We're probably safe to assume that war damages children's health and increases rates of infant mortality. So what more did you feel we needed to know that motivated you to conduct this study? Uh, well, just want to thank you, Alan, for, for having me on, on the podcast. So I'm, I'm delighted to be here today. So I think it's actually, I, I, I think I would say we actually know much less than we think we do when it comes to this. So it, even though it should seem like a kind of an obvious question that there is this systematic link between war and infant mortality rates. The research up to now actually has only focused on sort of particular conflicts or particular regions. And I think one of the things that really struck me about what was sort of missing in our understanding is that the kind of the large end systematic work on this has looked at adults and even children, uh, but not infants. And that might sound pedantic, but it's actually quite important. So in the in the sort of public health research on this, it looks at children up to the age of five. But infants who are up to the age of one are really entirely missed out as a separate category. And I think that's important for a number of reasons. So one is that we're thinking about really sort of the most vulnerable populations and actually the populations who have in many ways the least voice. So that those are the, the, the things that really struck me about it. And then in, in trying to understand the link between war and, and infant mortality rates, I think the other thing that, that was a sort of a sort of missing in our understanding of this is do different types of wars have similar or different effects? And then how do kind of the immediate effects of war differ from the kind of the lingering effects of conflict. Uh, and again, in some ways, the previous research has been quite descriptive, but not particularly analytical. And I'm really interested in understanding kind of, so, you know, why might these wars have different effects? And are there ways that we should be trying, you know, if that's true, then I think that also points to, you know, how we can think about kind of mitigating the negative effects of these conflicts, which you sort of mentioned in the, in the intro. 
So you mentioned there are two different distinctions, the distinction between different types of war and the distinction between different kinds of effects, immediate and, and lingering effects. Do you want just to unpack those a little bit further? What, what different types of war do you have in mind, first of all? Sure. Um, so in, in sort of international relations, the kind of the two big categories of, of conflicts that we tend to think about are one, what I would describe as civil wars. So these are conflicts within uh, national boundaries. And then the the second is sort of interstate wars. So these are kind of wars between states. And the the research tends to look at either one or the other. And of course, the thing is, if we think that both these types of conflicts have a public health impact, and in my research, I'm looking at infants in particular, then actually, if you only look at one type of war, then you're missing the effects of the other. So that's, I think, an important reason to have both in any of our empirical models um, to understand kind of the, um, the overall impact of conflict. And then the, the second one is between what we talk about kind of the immediate and then the sort of lingering effects. So the immediate effects in some ways are, you know, if you look at the coverage of the conflict in, in Ukraine at the moment, you know, you're thinking about hospitals being bombed, you're thinking about populations being bombed, about the electricity networks and and the sewage networks and all these other things that the infrastructure that keeps um, populations healthy all being attacked and and these types of of um, immediate effects are really you know what happens from um, if you're a victim of the conflict itself right so you are in the wrong place at the wrong time and the bomb hits you um, or you get caught in, in crossfire. Or, you know, as, as we know, actually, in a number of wars, parties to these conflicts will target healthcare facilities, will target other types of civilian infrastructure, which they shouldn't be doing. And even in the, um, the early weeks of the, the war in Ukraine, children and infants were being, were being killed as part of that. Uh, and then, so the moving, I think, uh, on the, on the lingering effects uh, aspect is... This tries to get at the idea of what happens if you are in a sort of a war-torn society. So we know that, you know, the, the kind of the progressive consequences of these wars destroy some of these key infrastructures, um, destroy many of the key uh, sort of support processes that keep populations healthy. Um, and they, you know, it makes it... Um, sort of very difficult to go to the doctors, right? So things that you and I would take for granted in peacetime, going to the GP, well, maybe not in the UK right now, but going to the GP, you know, accessing, going to hospital, getting medical care when we need it, that is very, very difficult in, in war zones and very, very dangerous. And so these things become much more limited for the civilian population. And then the other types of infrastructure, which is typically destroyed during conflicts the things like water treatment works um things like even th- even things that you wouldn't directly link to to mortality rates like for example the road network right so if you destroy the road network it's then very difficult to get supplies in it's very difficult to get um, access to medical care uh, access to foodstuffs and the like and then the the lingering component to that is we know it takes a long time for societies to recover from that. So it could be that, you know, the hospital was destroyed three or four years ago, but actually it takes a long time to rebuild that. And we know from previous research that these lingering effects 
continue even after the conflict stops, right? Because that hospital hasn't been rebuilt, right? That bridge hasn't been rebuilt that, that you know, links the, the key arteries um, across a particular country. Um, so it's really trying to get a sense of, you know, what do these sort of longer term consequences of conflict look like on, on, on mortality rates? Right. So we have kind of direct and indirect effects of war and then the direct effects might might drop away once once a war stops, but those indirect effects can linger for for a long time afterwards. And so, what sorts of expectations did you bring to the to the analysis here? And were you expecting to find a difference, for example, between civil wars and interstate wars? So, I think, and I suppose my I have kind of a, a background interest here in how the international system post-World War II kind of organized itself. So if you like in the background here is the role of the Geneva Conventions. Uh, and I think in, you know, we can talk about how we might, might sort of assess that directly later on, but in the background here is the Geneva Conventions. And then what that obliges states to do is that it really, you know, so even wars have rules, right? And it obliges states to protect civilians from harm in these conflicts and in, in particular those conventions were written with a focus on sort of interstate wars um, now there's an argument about the extent to which they apply in civil wars but certainly with it with interstate wars i was expecting that the effects of these wars would be smaller in comparison to civil wars precisely because of this this legal obligation that states have to protect civilians from harm mm. Uh, and also, we know that there's been some really interesting uh, research on on how civil wars have fought, and in particular NGOs, for example, in Syria, in Sudan, in Central African Republic, were all showing how actually the uh, the state had incentives to bomb its its own healthcare infrastructure. So we saw this in Syria, where you know, kind of. Um, opposition-held areas of the country. Uh, the hospitals there were repeatedly bombed by uh, joint Syrian and Russian forces, air forces. And of course, that's that's against the, the laws of war, right? So they shouldn't be doing this. And in, in, in that case, we would either call that a civil war or an internationalized civil war. But the, the argument would be that there, there are probably different incentives there. Um, for states, so they may they may actually have fewer incentives to follow these rules, uh, given that the conflict is sort of within its own sovereign boundaries. So, based on that, I, I was expecting these civil wars to have maybe a, a worsened effect in comparison to interstate wars. Okay, interesting. Uh, we'll talk about whether or not we found that. Uh, you know, but, um, that that was sort of the basis for the idea, yeah. and then if you want to think about um, is the kind of the immediate or the lingering effect worse? Mm. The the literature is pretty overwhelming on this. That the, the lingering effects tend to be worse overall. Mm. So um, I was expecting that these kind of these these longer term effects of these conflicts, you would see the the highest um, kind of increase in infant mortality rates. 
So we will get on to what you actually found. But before we do that, we should explore the methodology through which you're finding these things out a little bit. And I guess in essence, it's quite simple. You you get the data on the incidence of war. You get data on infant mortality. You look at the relationship between the two uh, with some control variables in there as well. Um, but of course, it's always more complicated than that. So I guess two questions, maybe. Firstly, are there aspects of the the methodology and the design of this research that that you'd particularly like to highlight uh, as as being important for our listeners? Second, there was one aspect that I found uh, particularly interesting, which was just simply around the measurement of infant mortality. And I suppose my hunch would be that in the context of war, data on infant mortality are going to become very unreliable. So, you know, if if the exercise here is about actually measuring these effects as precisely as we can, is that actually a, a thing that it's possible for us to do? Um, so that's a that, that's a great, great question. You sound like my reviewer, too. Um, on, <laughs> for uh, for listeners who aren't, who aren't aware of the reviewer two joke, this is this is kind of in academic papers. We always we always get one horrendous reviewer who asks all the really difficult questions, and invariably it's the second reviewer on the on on the panel. Um, no, no, but 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 seriously, these are really important questions actually. And I think the literature to now has looked at. I think I mentioned before, it looked at sort of under five mortality rather than infant mortality, and that may seem you know a bit technical. You know, isn't it all pretty similar? And actually, one of the things that you find when you start to kind of delve into the data is that we're missing a lot of cases when it comes to to under five mortality so the uh, the period that i examined for the paper was 1950s to 2007 so over that period uh, just to give you a comparison i had sort of 8207 cases of infant mortality rate data available uh, now, if I had been doing uh, an under five study, which is what most of the research looks at, I would have only had 2,605 cases. So almost sort of four times or maybe sort of three times the, the amount of data available. So I think there's the breadth of data that's available. And I think the other thing that we know is often data is missing in the countries that are in the worst circumstances, right? So either have the worst conflicts or maybe have the worst registration systems. And and those may well be the cases where you would think that the mortality rates would worsen the the most in in these types of conflicts. So the the IMR data is much better for that purpose. We have much much broader coverage. We're missing very few cases. Uh, And I think it's a sort of a a better baseline to, to begin trying to study this stuff. Now, your question about the quality of the data during periods of conflict, I think, is is a really important one. We know that the the coverage is going to be more spotty. Even with the IMR data, we still have gaps in that. Now, I think there's, you know, the international community has done a number of things to try to sort of mitigate that. So uh, the WHO, since its inception in 1949, has placed an emphasis on sort of good quality, comparable data, uh, including in particular infant mortality. The UN has a kind of a a sort of a complementary system uh, where they're also trying to to generate sort of comparable um, IMR data over time. So I think the the data quality definitely dips 
and we and it's certainly more spotty during periods of conflict. But I think if anything, it probably means that we underestimate the effects of these conflicts. Nevertheless, I, I think I have a lot more uh, confidence in this data than if I was trying to make the case using sort of under five mortality data as a comparison. Okay. And you, so you're looking, as you said, at um, thousands of kind of country years, I guess, uh, across the globe from 1950 to 2007. Uh, and you have data on levels of infant mortality. You have data on the incidence of war. We know whether that's civil war or interstate war. Um, one thing that struck me was you don't look at the scale of conflict. I would have guessed that the scale of conflict would make a difference to infant mortality rates. Was there, was there a reason for that? So that's, that's a great question. Uh, the, the, kind of the interstate war data tends to have a, a threshold of 1,000 battle deaths. Uh, the civil war data, you can get at lower thresholds. Um, and in earlier versions of the work, there are both are in there. I think it came out for a variety of reasons, but one is to think about sort of comparability. So if I could have a, let's say, a, a lower threshold for interstate wars, then I could be comparing different types of conflict, but at similar levels of hostility. And, and I think that sort of data limitation at the moment is one thing to think about. The, the thousand death threshold also makes it comparable to previous research on this. The most systematic previous work on this was by sort of Lee and Wen, and, and they're interested in the impact on adult mortality. So I can I can sort of better compare my results to, to their earlier work too. Mm-hmm. So that there are some sort of data constraints, and also I think making sure that uh, I'm not comparing apples and oranges, but maybe you know two flavors of apples in the research in order to kind of understand if, if they have similar or different effects. Okay, so we have a threshold of a thousand combat combat deaths per year. So, so we're talking here about significant conflicts, but not necessarily really large scale conflicts. So, I mean, I think the if you like another problem with the the correlates of war data, right? And 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 to be fair, this is the best data out there, right? So, this is the data that everyone uses. I think when they created the data, they weren't necessarily focusing on what the consequences of these conflicts were for uh, civilians and and other groups. They were particularly interested in trying to understand what leads to these conflicts um, in in the first place, right? So if you like, I've sort of flipped around the what is typically the dependent variable in um, a lot of IR research and it becomes my independent variable, right? So the thing that I, I think has the effect. And then I'm looking at something which you know, it is of interest to some political scientists, but there's a lot more public health researchers who look at this uh, than than sort of political scientists uh, as as a whole. So in many ways, I'm I'm trying to use data that wasn't exactly designed for this purpose, and then thinking about right. So if this is the best data we have at the moment, then then how can we sort of reasonably use it to try to understand the link between you know different types of wars and, and mortality rates. Interesting. Um, So we know why you wanted to do this research. We know how you did the research. The most important question is, what did you find? So the the world 
um, in part works the way I think it does, but not, but not in all in all aspects. So we certainly find you know a, a significant link between both types of conflict. So when civil wars erupt to this level of severity, um, they have a significant um, impact, kind of worsening infant mortality rates. The, the same is true of sort of interstate wars. The if you like, kind of the point predictions around these were the, the sort of the opposite of what I expected. Now, I think you have to be very careful with these point predictions because, you know, we have what we call sort of confidence intervals around them, which say, look, in reality, if you want to be sort of 95% sure, it could be a bit worse, it could be a, a bit better than this. And those confidence intervals overlap between the civil wars and the interstate wars. So the, the point prediction, you know, Civil wars flare up and you have a just over five percent increase in infant mortality rates. You get to the stage of a major interstate war, and we're looking at ten and a half percent increase in in IMRs on average. But the the predictions here overlap. So it could be that these interstate wars are in reality still worse, but we have to be somewhat cautious about that. The the thing is when you're looking at these cases, we don't have that many cases, which is why the these confidence intervals are quite are relatively wide, you might think. So that's the, the cautionary note with them. Yeah. Um, having said that, it, it does seem to go against what I thought. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting, right? So I don't think, I'm not going to entirely go against, you know, discount that because it goes against what I thought. And, you know, it, it, it may well be that we need to think more about the types of munitions that are being used really kind of how destructive, you know, national armies are, national air forces are um, in comparison to rebel groups, right? So rebel groups typically don't have access to the kinds of weaponry that the the Syrian air force or the the, the Russian air force was using on civilians in, in the Syrian civil war. So that there may be something about that that we're kind of underestimating at the moment. Um, so in some sense interstate wars may just be bigger on average than than civil wars is, is kind of what you're suggesting there yeah i think so and it, and it could be that how we think about the threshold data of this sort of 1000 battle deaths in in many ways muddies the severity of these conflicts right um mm. if you have sort of fleets and fleets of, of bomber planes going over another country's boundaries that is going to do a lot of damage um, yeah yeah. And so one of the mechanisms that you mentioned there in terms of why you were expecting uh, interstate wars to have lower rates, rates of increase in infant mortality was to do with the Geneva Conventions. Um, and I think you were able to explore further the impact of Geneva Conventions as well. I mean, so at the moment, the, the, the Geneva Conventions are, are in the background here because effectively all states are, are, are parties to that after World War II. And I think in order to understand kind of directly if the conventions have kind of constrained the effects of these conflicts, it would be ideal to take this research back into the 19th century. So I think this is something you can do. We have we have civil war data. We have interstate war data. We even have infant mortality rate data that goes back to to 1816. So this is something that I was part of when I was a, a PhD student. <laughs> Um, staying up far too late encoding this stuff. So there is a, I think 
not unreasonable level of skepticism when you when you go back with this historical data. It tends to be a bit more unreliable. We have to um, be even more careful than than we are, you know, trying to understand the links between sort of conflict and, and these outcomes when you go back that far. Okay, interesting. And you also had that expectation that the lingering effects of conflict would be worse than the, the immediate effects. What did you find on that? So there's, there, there's a good deal of, of um, evidence to, to support that. You know, if we, if we look at the sort of the, the core results, the, the, the core results kind of suggest if you have spent um, most of your time as a state involved in, in major interstate war, that this has the largest negative effect on infant mortality rates. Uh, so, so again, sort of going going against what I expected uh, of the interstate versus civil wars, but certainly in line with previous arguments that these sort of lingering effects tend to be the the worst overall. Mm. So, what do we learn from this study about? Um... What, whether it's possible to do anything in order to mitigate the effects of war. I guess through these patterns, you can start to see what factors seem to be having a bigger effect, what factors may be having a lesser effect. So you can begin to get a sense of, of where we should be focusing attention and trying to mitigate those effects. Yeah, I'm, I, th- I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good question. And I think some of the robustness tests, you know, flagged up some some potential avenues that I think we need to better understand that may sort of mitigate the effects of of conflict. So, you know, there's a number of NGOs have written about kind of um, the usefulness of kind of humanitarian interventions on on trying to mitigate the health effects of of these conflicts. But so far, I haven't seen any kind of systematic work on that. And I think in many ways, that would be sort of the next stage to understand, do these uh, interventions have a kind of a sizable impact or not. I think that's one route. And then I think the other one is actually, uh, and it's a really interesting topic because, so for example, in, in 2022, the, the US Department of Defense has now launched a review into what it calls Civilian Harm Mitigation and Response Action Plan. The Secretary of Defense has, has tasked the armed services uh, to precisely think about how they can limit um, the effects of these conflicts on civilians. So it's it's clearly of of importance to the U.S. Department of Defense at the moment. Uh, as a comparison, there was no sort of similar review taking place in the U.K. Ministry of Defense. Uh, there was a kind of a, a group of civil society organizations that have been pushing them to open up a review. Um, so I think there is, I think that's the other route is to, you know, is to actually have the kind of the interested parties whose you know, obligations are actually to meet these sort of the Geneva Conventions um, is for them to actually start to understand, well, you know, what are the actual effects of, of what we're doing, right? And, and can we change that? So this, I guess this type of research says, okay, the effects of what you're doing, you know, seem to be bad. Um, here is some some actual evidence that maybe you can think about all right, so so what did we do in these conflicts? You know, what kinds of things happened and what kinds of things should we be sort of changing? Mm. So where do you plan to go next in this research? What you've you've mentioned some some of the, the, the questions that a broader review should be 
uh, taking on. Um, but what are your own research plans in this area? So I think it would be kind of really interesting to to go back as as far as we possibly can with this with this data, mm. and then that that will allow us to ask sort of the the big question about you know what's the role of the Geneva Conventions here. So again, there's there's a lot of qualitative work on this. Public health specialists who you know um, so for example, there's the, the, the violations data center that that has been capturing you know, how civilians died in, in Syria in a sort of an amazing level of detail. But the, the question that they can't answer is, would this be any different if the Geneva Conventions were not in place? And I think, if you like, that for me is, is one of the key questions that I still think we don't know very much about. And then asking these, these questions about, do humanitarian interventions matter? Right? Do they sort of mitigate uh, the, the consequences of these conflict. So I think those would be the, the two sort of biggest avenues for, for future research that I would be thinking about. And then probably sending various emails to various government departments, you know, seeing if they would be interested in, in what I've been up to and if they think it's of kind of any value in terms of, of how they go about, you know, making policy in the future. Well, let us hope so, because this is clearly incredibly important stuff. Um, thank you so much, Rod. It's been really very interesting to discuss this with you on, on as I say, such a, a very important topic as well. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for, for inviting me on today. It was a lot of fun. And the study that we've been discussing is called War and Infant Mortality Rates by Rod Abuharb. It's available for online early view, free of charge in the Journal of Human Rights. And we'll put the full details in the show notes for this episode. Next week, we'll be looking at a new proposal for how we should think about the role of the state in our society. It's called the precautionary state, and it's going to make for a fascinating discussion. Remember to make sure you don't miss out on that or other future episodes of UCL Uncovering Politics. All you need to do is subscribe. You can do so on Apple, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast provider you use. And while you're there, we'd love it if you could take a moment of your time to rate or review us. I'm Alan Rennick. This episode was produced by Connor Kelly and Eleanor Kingwell-Bannum. Our theme music is written and performed by John Mann. This has been UCL Uncovering Politics. Thank you for listening. <laughs>